Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. For years, BetOnline Sportsbook had all of your odds, props, promos, and parlays for whatever sport you can imagine. However, this week is the first time ever BetOnline Sportsbook has a basketball in-season tournament. You can use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, with the link in the description of this episode, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Take that 50% welcome bonus and bet on the in-season tournament. You could take Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers, the New York Knicks, Dame and Giannis in Milwaukee. You've got the Pelicans. You've got a duel between the Suns and the Lakers, the favorites in Boston, or my pick to win it all, my hometown, Sacramento Kings. Light the beam, bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping on into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. And podcasts aren't live. It's the whole purpose of this fun little podcasting thing we do. You can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose, and we appreciate that you have decided to stop in however and whenever you so choose to the 1,331st episode of the Take It Easy podcast. Thank you for your continued support of this podcast. It's year five of the show. It's come in different ways, shapes, and forms, and you guys have continued to support us throughout all of it, and I just am so greatly appreciative of everything that you guys continue to do to support this fun little passion project that we have. Supporting our dreams is a big deal. We say it a lot around here, and you guys continue to support our dreams time and time again, and I just, I appreciate it so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, as always. So, speaking of this little podcasting thing, one of the things that is a dream is being able to come on here and talk about whatever we choose around the world of sports, and this is our fifth football season, and there's a football game tonight that is meaningful in the sicko kind of way because the New England Patriots and Pittsburgh Steelers are going to play a football game that has the lowest over-under point total in 18 years in the National Football League. It sits at 30 and a half right now. Some places, some sports books are taking 29 and a half. It might be down to 28 and a half by the time you're listening to this. In the same kind of sicko way that we loved Iowa and Nebraska, for being just the most pinnacle college football game with the crappy Iowa offense designed to be crappy and the the crappy Nebraska offense not designed to be crappy, but just being crappy in and of itself. 
that is kind of a sicko football game that we could come on here and talk about just because it's something silly and fun and something that takes precedent on this show whenever we have sicko bad football games. However, we have to hop in our Millennium Falcon and travel to a galaxy far, far away. It's been a minute since we've traveled to this galaxy far, far away. However, our Imperial Captain Juan Soto, leader of the San Diego Resistance, well, he just got traded away from the San Diego Resistance. And so we got to hop in the Millennium Falcon and hear about what's happening with our Captain Juan Soto, leader of the San Diego Resistance taking on the Holy Dodger Empire, and how this plus Jedi Master Shohei Otani's free agency decision that's about to come up, all of it is changing our baseball galaxy as we head towards the end of our fifth movie and head towards episode six, which is actually episode three, because Star Wars made prequels after the original movies, but we're headed towards our episode six, Last Jedi moment, and... Imperial Captain Juan Soto has been traded away. The San Diego Resistance is falling apart. We don't know what's happening. So we got to hop in the Millennium Falcon and nerd out about Major League Baseball here today on the show. Episode 5, The Dodger Empire Strikes Back. After five days of battles, a perfect 13 innings from the bullpen fleet, and help from a rally goose... Captain Juan Soto and the San Diego Resistance blew up the Holy Dodger Empire's 111-win Death Star, restoring a balance to the Force. After their incredible victory, the Resistance discovers they still have much to learn after a journey to the Dagobah system and a visit to Master Harper on the swamp planet known as Philadelphia. Meanwhile, the Holy Dodger Empire grows in wealth, pillaging the backs of Diamond and Purple Rockies once more for resources. The Empire has removed Captains Trey and Justin Turner, while banishing Cody Bellinger to the north side. Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens continue spending their unprecedented resources in an attempt to maintain control of their Empire State along the eastern seaboard. In addition, Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens, along with the Holy Dodger Empire, prepare themselves for the impending arrival of Master Otani, the fabled Jedi Knight from Anaheim, who legend says has the ability to master and control both sides of the Force. Despite their successes, the Resistance is losing resources and ground, trying to compete with the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. They've fled to the backs of Diamond in order to re-coordinate their efforts for the following season. In their time of need, Captain Juan Soto enlists help from a former Resistance ally, Fernando Calrissian, also known as El Nino. The Resistance also pays a hefty price for Xander Bogart's defection from the once great Boston Empire. With the help of Captain Soto, the return of El Nino, Xander the Carpenter, Joe Musgrove, Jedi Master Manny Machado, and Supreme Closer Lord Hader, the Resistance knows this season will be their best chance to dismantle the Holy Dodger Empire once and for all. 
All right, people. We've traveled to a galaxy far, far away, and we have some sad news to report. Our Imperial Captain Juan Soto has been captured by the Empire. But not the Holy Dodger Empire, just an empire almost as evil in the New York Yankees. The the former evil empire that had their title to evil empire stolen from under them by uh, first the Boston Red Sox in the 2000s, and then in the last 10 years, the Houston Astros. So the, the Houston Astros, and then uh, about three years ago, the Tampa Bay Rays. The silly old Tampa Bay Rays took the Yankees' birthright to championships. So uh, the, the little brother New York Yankees came in and took Imperial Captain Juan Soto away from San Diego. And the, the, the San Diego resistance basically got the New York Yankees sloppy seconds as part of the trade package for a one-year rental on Juan Soto. I was kind of surprised that the Yankees had four players on their 26-man roster who they were willing to part with in the first place. Like, I knew last season went kind of poorly for the Yankees, but I just didn't think they had four players on their Major League roster that they were willing to part with. In particular, because on Tuesday, they traded with their evil empire, Boston Red Sox, to get Alex Verdujo in a trade that also involved them giving up three starting pitchers, one of whom was on their Major League roster. So... The, the Yankees looked up and basically said, hey, we are content to just give away people that were on our Major League roster last season. And what they have at the end of that transaction is a completely brand new outfield. Like within the span of a f- 24 hours, the Yankees essentially trade for a brand new outfield. Because Trent Grisham also went in the deal. And Trent Grisham will always have a special place in the heart of the San Diego resistance because... Trent Grisham is an amazing defensive outfielder. Just gold gloves, back-to-back in two years with San Diego. But Trent Grisham is not very good at hitting. He had the lowest batting average ever for a Major League Baseball player that had at least 500 at-bats in a season. And granted, 500 at-bats is a big number to hit. So, like, there are people with worse seasons than him that have smaller sample size. But for someone with a gigantic sample size, he really did not hit very much. And then he got to the playoffs last season, and he hit a home run off of Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom in back-to-back wildcard games that carried the San Diego resistance onto their matchup with the Holy Dodger Empire, where if you just heard the, the Star Wars intro we did, yeah, San Diego beat the Dodgers in the playoffs last year. It was awesome. Greatest regular season Dodger team of all time. Maybe the best moment of my baseball life. We cried on the air talking about it on this podcast. And so San Diego ends up trading Juan Soto and Trent Grisham, and what the Yankees walk away with is a brand new outfield. Alex Verdujo, Juan Soto, and Trent Grisham. Yes, obviously Aaron Judge is going to play some right field for them, and Trent Grisham will probably be a backup and a defensive replacement, but the Yankees basically just traded for a brand new outfield, and they did it by giving away like five players who were on their major league roster last year, which is something that I didn't think the Yankees would be in a position to do even as bad as their season went last year, where they were out of the playoffs by September and never really had a chance, but they still finished above 500, so it wasn't the worst Yankee team of the last 30 years. And it was just kind of interesting to watch that unfold in real time. From the San Diego standpoint, which is something that I think is infinitely more interesting, not just because I'm from San Diego, it's the baseball team I grew up watching, 
But the San Diego resistance is kind of just in unprecedented territory right now. And I say unprecedented territory because everything San Diego has done over the last year and a half has been kind of unprecedented. Like when San Diego made the trade for Juan Soto, which is what inspired this Star Wars parody in the first place, because, you know, Juan Soto sounds like if Han Solo had been born in the Dominican Republic or if like 1970s George Lucas had the foresight to include not a white main character in his Star Wars story, like Juan Soto sounds like the Dominican Han Solo name. And so Juan Soto coming over to San Diego was super unique in the first place because no player as young as Juan Soto with as much accomplishment as Juan Soto finishing second in the MVP at 21, winning a World Series at 19, replacing Bryce Harper in the Washington lineup, one of the most touted prospects in the history of baseball, and statistically and irrefutably, one of the best players at drawing walks in the history of baseball. Like, irrefutably, before he got to San Diego, after he got to San Diego, incredible at drawing walks like that player never comes available at 23 years old and San Diego was the team that said we will throw all caution into the wind and overpay for two playoff runs guaranteed of that player and they traded for Juan Soto and they traded for uh, Josh Hader Lord Hader as we call him uh, supreme closer Lord Hader because Hader sounds like Vader and we can make Star Wars puns out of that but they traded for Lord Hader they traded for Captain Juan Soto they added Josh Bell they added Drury and and they delivered on the greatest moment in San Diego sports history and then last year was a disappointment even though it wasn't really that much of a disappointment because they went 0-13 in extra inning games, which are essentially like coin flip type of games, so they got unlucky. You know how we talk about this all the time with the NFL and one-score games? They're just unlucky in a lot of these one-score games. Um, San Diego got unlucky in coin flip games, and they only finished two games out of the playoffs behind the Arizona Diamondbacks, the team that ended up going to the World Series in the National League. So a season that wasn't even that much of a disappointment as people made it out to be leads to the end of San Diego's resistance as we know it because now Juan Soto's getting traded. Um, the, the, the general manager, Preller, gave out a bunch of contracts at the start of the season and those players are locked in at about 125 million between Tatis Machado, Darvish, Musgrove, uh, Xander Bogarts. It's a guarantee of 150 million dollars per year on payroll for the next seven years between those five players. I think I mentioned Joe Musgrove, but Joe Musgrove is in that group as well. And so what San Diego essentially said is like, well, we can't hold on to Blake Snell. We can't hold on to Juan Soto. We're going to bring payroll down about 50% of where we were still going to have a pretty high payroll, but we're going to systematically take away players who were the most valuable on the team last year. Juan Soto was the most valuable batter. Uh, Fernando Tatis was incredible too, obviously, but, but, and won a platinum glove as being the best defensive player in all of baseball moving from shortstop to right field and still being a beast defensively at the at the top of the league. 
But Juan Soto was the best batter on the team. They, they systematically trade him away for, as I described earlier, the Yankees' sloppy seconds. And they're going to lose Blake Snell, who just won the Cy Young Award in the National League. And they lost Bob Melvin as their manager and replaced him with Mike Schilt, who, yes, went uh, to the NLCS with the Cardinals, but also was a manager that no one really wanted to hire after he got fired by the Cardinals. So San Diego is making systematic trade-offs from the resistance and a big part of that is that their owner died and I don't think we've been on to talk about this since the owner died but like what San Diego was willing to spend and take on debt for last season was pretty unprecedented from a team that doesn't generate revenue at the level that one would expect for a team that has the third highest payroll in all of baseball and San Diego didn't come through and San Diego didn't end up having the season they hoped it would. And then the owner who was a two-time cancer survivor prior to this ends up dying just month plus after the season ended kind of explains or adds context to some of the decisions that they were making. But because you had an owner who was, you know, getting, to the last days of his life as disease began to ravage his body. And as the team that had never had a payroll larger than 200 million in the history of the franchise, the one of the losingest franchises in the history of sports, San Diego ends up spending at levels they've never spent before. And they end up turning the thing around and taking on debt and, and willing to bring in big names even if big names didn't necessarily mean big results, they were willing to bring in big names to a team that had never had big names like that before. It was like five years of Adrian Gonzalez, and then we'll trade away Adrian Gonzalez, and then four years of Chase Headley, who is a good, not great baseball player, and then we'll trade him away, and we'll just uh, then we'll have Justin Upton and Matt Kemp for a season, and then we'll trade those guys away and rebuild. Like it's just a team that never has big names and their willingness to add big names was good enough for me just from an expectation standpoint but I set my expectations low when it comes to sports fandom like for the expectation that came along with having big names join the team and and throw caution into the wind on some of these moves it was just really unique to watch happen in real time now with the added context of an owner who dies and then the team decides hey we're we took on a bunch of debt the owner is dead. There's a power vacuum at the top of the organization. We're going to have to cut payroll back because what we were building was unsustainable, but it was designed to be unsustainable in a way that you just don't see from businesses in sports anymore, like salary caps and luxury tax thresholds and revenue sharing are all designed to create structures and systems that lead to more revenue for owners. And people who are who are in the ruling class or in the 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 ownership class and not in the working class when it comes to sports. And this is uniquely American system and structure, but in all of their sports, the systems and structures are set up to maximize revenue and then winning will come after that. And San Diego was the rare team that didn't have the financial backing, didn't have the influence across the league like a team that the Yankees or the New York Mets or the Dodgers might have. In informing the collective bargaining agreements, they were a an afterthought team that was trying to beat the game. They were trying to win at the game that everyone was too afraid to play, which is what if we don't care about making money? 
they were willing to push back against the revenue generating models of baseball and say, what if we are not concerned about making money? And in fact, what if we are concerned about pouring our own money into this investment to bring in big names, to do uh, to go against the grain on everything that owners and people in the ruling class of the sport and sports at large in America believe is the right move? What if we are willing to buck back against all of that stuff? And yeah, it didn't work out. It, it, it will go down as a failure because they missed the playoffs in Peter Seidler's last season before he died. Yeah, that will go down as a disappointment. Obviously, people will point to that. But it was just so unique and different for so long. And combined with the fact that Juan Soto could have signed a, a $400 million extension, but him and Scott Boris, his agent, agreed that he was going to hit free agency no matter what because the Otani contract was going to influence the free agent market of 2025 and they weren't going to limit themselves when they signed an extension now because Soto would hit free agency at 25 years old and a 25-year-old hitting free agency is really unique in that sport. Uh, usually you're 26, 27, or 28 when you hit free agency, but Soto just happened to make his MLB debut at 19 years old, so his arbitration kicked in earlier. Soto was such a unique player for them to trade for, and Washington was such a unique clusterfuck that Soto became available in a way that you just don't see 23-year-old superstars become available. And San Diego gave it a year and a half. They gave up a prospect that really hurts to get rid of now, C.J. Abrams, who... C.J. Abrams, for most of last season, had a higher wins above replacement than Xander Bogarts, the player that they paid $260 million for to designated hit when he first got there. And granted, the reason that the war was higher is because Bogarts was a pure hitter, and C.J. Abrams is one of the best defensive second basemen, moving to between second and shortstop in baseball. So Abrams is one of the best defenders, and that was adding to his wins above replacement total while Bogarts was playing designated hitter. But still, C.J. Abrams was bringing more value to Washington than he was than than Bogarts was to San Diego, and that's a poor use of resources when you think about that in a vacuum. Considering Abrams wasn't even the only piece they traded in order to get Juan Soto, they they compromised the future to trade for Juan Soto. They gave it a year and a half. And the end result is they get the sloppy seconds from the Yankees, as well as one pretty good top prospect. Like, they did get one of the Yankees' top five prospects, which will make losing Mackenzie Gore, who is their former number one pick, number three overall pick in the draft a few years ago. It'll make it feel a little bit better that they gave up pieces from two years of losing to acquire Juan Soto. But at the end of the day, San Diego gets less on return for their investment than they did originally for Imperial Captain Juan Soto, but what they got out of it was two playoff runs with Juan Soto and then trading him later at a decreased value. I don't view that as a failure. It's not my money. It's not necessarily something that makes it as big of a difference. It's just really, really unique. And instead of thinking about whether it worked or didn't work for San Diego at the end of this uh, resistance pushing back against the Dodger Empire and trying to strike against the, the the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire that has infinite money and has essentially won the National League West for a decade straight. Pushing back against those Dodgers was just really fun to watch in real time. And yeah, San Diego's still going to be good next year. They still have an infield that is at the top of the league between Machado and Hassan Kim and Fernando Tatis. Uh, Xander Bogarts will probably move back into the field at some point. Uh, Hassan Kim is still around. Like, San Diego has really good pieces. 
still on this team and they're going to have a payroll that reflects that and they're going to have a, a competitive team that reflects that. This isn't the end of San Diego competing at the top of the league. It just means they're not going to be as good as the Dodgers, but they were never going to be as good as the Dodgers. Their hope is that you just get into the random playoff format and you do what Arizona did to the Dodgers last year. And that was get to the playoffs with 84 wins, about 100, uh, 103 was the Dodgers win total. So about 19 less than the Dodgers win total. Just get into the playoffs and then beat them in a small sample size because all the Dodgers pitchers got hurt or Julio Urias got his second domestic violence suspension. So like, yeah, Arizona had had a different path to taking down the the Dodger empire than San Diego did, but ultimately both of them came to the same result. Arizona knocked out the Dodgers, San Diego knocked out the Dodgers in the same round of the playoff, and San Diego did it in a way that was Arizona did it in a way that was unique. I will admit Arizona not having a bullpen until August, then having that bullpen turn into the best unit in baseball during the postseason was a unique way for them to beat the Dodgers and ultimately get to the World Series. I will give them that. It was a very unique road for them to get there. But Arizona didn't spend a ton of money and went through a traditional rebuild in order to get back to this place. Corbin Carroll was the investment of years of losing. Cattell Marte was the foundational piece that was there through the rebuild. Christian Walker was a rebuilding piece that they acquired. Um, uh, it, Zach Gallen was a piece that they traded for uh, during the rebuild, and he was a top prospect that paid out in their favor. Like Arizona had a more traditional route to get to how they beat the Dodgers in the playoffs. In a sport that's random and tradition doesn't matter and there's so many different ways that you can win. And even in a sport that is so unique because of how the financial structures are set up and free agency and and the discrepancy in the haves and have-nots in that sport when it comes to spending, even in the sport that's more unique than the other American sports, the San Diego Padres found a way to be more unique than any team had previously been when it came to roster construction, the decisions they made to build that team, the money that they spent then didn't spend, the, uh, the the players that they traded, the players they got back, the acquisition of a player like Juan Soto in the first place. It was all incredibly unique. It was fun to watch in real time. And even if San Diego didn't get a second crack at taking down the Holy Dodger Empire, it was still really, really fun to watch San Diego and Juan Soto go all in and have that excitement. Because yeah, San Diego might get back to the playoffs. They have a team that's good enough to in the National League. And those tinkers they make around the edges, if they prove to be good decisions, will get them back to the 90-win range that they were two years ago. But it's not going to feel as exciting. It's not going to feel as unique as it was two years ago. For better or for worse, I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just going to be different. And the thing that made it different was that San Diego was the renegade team willing to throw caution into the wind. They were willing to say, we're going to do things that no other team would dare to do in order to build us a winner. And sure, it didn't work out. And sure, AJ Preller looks like an asshole more than he already did at the end of it. But it was just really, really fun to watch happen in real time. It was really fun to have Juan Soto as a mercenary join your team. It was really fun to have Josh Hader as a mercenary join your team and make a trade that ultimately derailed Milwaukee's entire season. Like, if you heard Milwaukee talk about what happened in that 2022 season after they traded Josh Hader, 
They they had the feeling the organization did not believe in them and their entire season collapsed and they missed the playoffs in 2022. Like San Diego made a trade that collapsed Milwaukee's entire season because San Diego had the balls to make a trade like that. And Milwaukee, you know, was making the evaluations incorrectly on what that team was going to be. And the general manager resigned and the president resigned and the team totally fell apart at the end of last season because of that Josh Hader trade. It was just so exciting to watch happen in real time. It was so fun. It was so exciting. And yeah, it didn't end the way that they hoped it would, but it delivered me the greatest sports moment of my lifetime. And everything after them beating the 111 win Dodgers was gravy in my book. So thank you to Imperial Captain Juan Soto and everything that you did over the years for the San Diego Resistance and birthing this incredible Star Wars parody that we've created over the years. This began because of the Juan Soto trade. Juan Soto delivered me a couple of the greatest sports moments I've had in my lifetime just by virtue of being there for San Diego. Though The first game that he played at San Diego when Brandon Drury hit a grand slam in the first inning and I was watching the game with my grandparents and they were excited and I was excited and it was a really cool moment. That's something I'll remember for years and years later. The playoff win against the Dodgers, something I will remember for the rest of my life. The first moment San Diego ever got a leg up on the Dodgers in my lifetime. The San Diego resistance blew up the Dodger Death Star, and I will always remember how awesome that was. Juan Soto delivered a handful of those moments and just was an excellent baseball player that happened to wear a San Diego uniform. And I'm just so glad that he got to spend a year and a half with San Diego. And I don't care that San Diego got the Dodger, uh, got the Yankees sloppy seconds at the end of the trade. I'm just really glad that he spent a year and a half in San Diego and that we got to have the fun, creative, and exciting baseball team that the San Diego Resistance was for the two years that the San Diego Resistance was together. Now, the Resistance will continue to fight. The Resistance is never dead, if you've learned from Star Wars. The Resistance always lives on. It's about hope. It's about new beginnings. The Resistance is never dead. The Resistance is retooling. The Resistance needs help from people like the Backs of Diamond and the the New York Yankee or the New York Mets and and Master Cohen's Met Army of Queens. They need. Jedi Master Shohei Otani to not join the evil Dodger Empire. You know, this is this is a turning point in the galaxy once again, and new enemies will rise, new heroes will emerge from the ashes, and we will have another incredible baseball season to look forward to coming up next year. And speaking of Jedi Master Shohei Otani, let's give one final update about where Shohei Otani's free agency stands, and we're going to have some fun doing that with our friend Juju Talk Sports about the up-to-date latest updates, because I know we did a Shohei Otani update in our Sports Radio Wednesday, but that was a little bit older in information. Today, today, this is an up-to-date, as of Tuesday, Shohei Otani free agency analysis. Episode 5, The Dodger Empire Strikes Back. After five days of battles, a perfect 13 innings from the bullpen fleet, and help from a rally goose, Captain Juan Soto and the San Diego Resistance blew up the Holy Dodger Empire's 111-win Death Star, restoring a balance to the Force. After their incredible victory, the Resistance discovers they still have much to learn after a journey to the Dagobah system, 
and a visit to Master Harper on the swamp planet known as Philadelphia. Meanwhile, the Holy Dodger Empire grows in wealth, pillaging the backs of Diamond and Purple Rockies once more for resources. The Empire has removed Captains Trey and Justin Turner, while banishing Cody Bellinger to the north side. Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens continue spending their unprecedented resources in an attempt to maintain control of their Empire State along the eastern seaboard. In addition, Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens, along with the Holy Dodger Empire, prepare themselves for the impending arrival of Master Otani, the fabled Jedi Knight from Anaheim, who legend says has the ability to master and control both sides of the Force. Despite their successes, the Resistance is losing resources and ground, trying to compete with the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. They've fled to the backs of Diamond in order to re-coordinate their efforts for the following season. In their time of need, Captain Juan Soto enlists help from a former Resistance ally, Fernando Calrissian, also known as El Nino. The Resistance also pays a hefty price for Xander Bogart's defection from the once great Boston Empire. With the help of Captain Soto, the return of El Nino, Xander the Carpenter, Joe Musgrove, Jedi Master Manny Machado, and Supreme Closer Lord Hader, the Resistance knows this season will be their best chance to dismantle the Holy Dodger Empire once and for all. In the final hours as we wait any minute, any day, we could be finding out where Shohei Otani will be playing perhaps the remainder of his playing career in the MLB. We've heard Blue Jays, we've heard Braves, Red Sox, Yankees, Rangers, Giants, Dodgers, of course, getting thrown out there for Shohei. But uh, we know at least some teams got ruled out recently. So Rangers ruled out, Red Sox ruled out, Mets ruled out. Three names gone. Angels trying to jump back in it. Dodgers still the favorites. Deciphering all of this, how are you feeling about recent reporting? Uh, let's start off with the smaller ones, then jump into the bigger picture stuff. Just the smaller notes from the last week. I really thought Texas was going to have a, a puncher's chance at it. I thought it made so much sense in the world. And Otani could move into like a hybrid closer type of role, potentially, if he goes to Texas, where he like, isn't truly a ninth inning reliever, but comes in in like the seventh, eighth and ninth or the eighth and ninth or like gets an extended run as a reliever. I thought that made a lot of sense. And not to say that that can't happen if he goes to like the, the Blue Jays or something like that. But I just thought that was going to be something that was appealing. Texas is the world champions. I, I thought that that would have made sense. So I was surprised to see Texas just drop out of the running altogether, especially because 
Texas hasn't been afraid to just throw money out there like it's nobody's business. I thought that was pretty surprising. It was weird to see the Angels name pop up again, considering the last time we were here talking, Otani, we made fun of like, what are the Angels thinking right now that they're not even involved in the game? I don't think they're seriously involved. I just think they had a meeting with him and they gave the team the courtesy of having a meeting. And I think that's why you're seeing the Angels kind of trickle up there into the, into the group of teams at this point. But I, I don't think they're serious contenders. The, the odds as they stand right now have the Angels tied for sixth as the best chance to land Otani. And that's basically out of the race at this point. I think they're just there because that we know that he met with the team. Flat out, I'll, I'll be honest, I would lose a little respect for Shohei if he re-signed with the Angels. Just saying that would be like a demerit on his career for me if he re-signed there. But as far as the Angels came back into it, I just got to say it was a necessity, I feel, for them at least be somewhat involved. How can you not trade him or make a serious attempt at trying to trade him under the guise of we don't want to be the team that traded Shohei Otani only to not even make an honest attempt at re-signing him in the offseason makes a lot of sense for them to jump back out there. Now, the Braves, the interesting thing about that one, it felt like they fell out. Like when we were talking about it, like three weeks ago, the Braves were hot. And then the last two weeks, they went quiet mode. And now today it was John Morosi. So here on a Monday, saying that he feels as though that they're going to jump back in it. And obviously, we know how deadly that Braves lineup is already. The Braves coming off of this season where they had so much expectations, they had World Series expectations, and then couldn't even make it out of the first round. The Braves, now that they're back in there, how much of a serious contender do you think they are? From everything I've understood about Otani, it wouldn't make sense if he turned on a dime and went to the Atlanta Braves. Although I do fully acknowledge like a lot of this is about money, right? I said before he's going to go to the team that pays him the most money between like the three or four contenders that he wanted to go to. Now, I thought Texas was at the front of that line and Texas is obviously out. So that's changed a bit. But money is still going to break ties between some of these teams that get involved. Like if, say, for example, the Cubs are only offering... $500 million. I know it's crazy to say only $500 million and there's opt outs in there and all sorts of stuff, but like say it's only $500 million with the Cubs and then the Dodgers or the Blue Jays or the Braves even are going $50 million plus on top of that, which is potentially an average annual value of $5 million a year, then that's probably going to knock them out of the race for Otani at a certain point. So I think money is going to play a, a factor in that, and the Braves obviously have money. Uh, our guy Snitker, who uh, is their manager, basically said at the end of the postseason, we have built a team for regular season baseball. We are not built for the postseason, and that's something that we need to correct. I don't know if he meant like just the, the mindset of the team or, or roster construction or whatever that might mean, but he, he was pretty flat out. Like we've lost two years in a row to the Phillies. We are not built for the postseason, and we got to make changes. And I don't think Otani going to the Braves is going to happen. It would be, it would really shock me if they came in at the, at the 11th hour, jumped up and actually landed him, especially because Signing with the Braves goes against most of what Otani has been saying he's wanted over the last year or so, or at least what we've learned about Otani. He's been pretty quiet himself, but I would be shocked if he ended up on the Braves, although I know the Braves have a lot of money. Well, what have we learned about Otani? We've learned that he wants to go to a contender because that's why we ruled out the Angels as a serious team trying to re-sign him this offseason. When I look at Atlanta, I obviously view them as a team that very much could win now if they put him in that lineup. It's just a murderous row with Shohei included in there. So I do think that the Braves 
are legitimate in this. And of course, that means the Dodgers, of course, are legitimate as well. If they could pair him around Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, that also is just a one, two, three punch that pitchers really don't want to face. Well, aside from the postseason, when we know Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts get like one hit combined, right? Right. Another team that's been very quiet and was very loud early on uh, was, of course, my San Francisco Giants. You know, my expectations were obviously low going into this one. Like, as much as I obviously want them to sign Shohei, I know it could be such a game changer for them. I've questioned whether or not they really had the environment that could win for him because a lot of the prospects that came up last year were not really too impressive. Patrick Bailey being the exception. But for the most part, like Marco Luciano, Elliot Ramos, these guys, just a bunch of guys. They seem like at least just a bunch of guys. We made the change from firing Kapler to get Bob Melvin in there. So new manager in town. It it really just depends. Does he like buy into the Giants geographically? Because this is where the geographic element comes into it. And can the Giants offer him a significant amount of money, which obviously they signed Carlos Correa up until the medical stuff came up. Obviously, they were one of the one, two contenders for Aaron Judge. And it makes me wonder if after missing out on Judge and after the Carlos Correa thing, the Giants made it their prerogative to not leak stuff out this season, especially too when we go back to the original reporting of Shohei not wanting all his meetings to be out there for the public eye. It makes me think like, could the Giants actually be one of those 11th hour teams based off their just being quiet this offseason, which actually I think might work to their benefit. You know, it's kind of interesting. I do uh, sports radio here in Sacramento, Light the Beam. And uh, one of the things that we were talking about with the Giants is like Giants fans have been very, uh, and the Giants organization at times has been loud and brash about pursuing free agents over the past couple of years. Like it was, we are all in on Bryce Harper. We are all in on Aaron Judge or Arson Judge or whatever. We are all in on Carlos Correa after not getting Arson Judge. And Giants fans have kind of talked themselves into this idea of like, because we're not hearing anything, this is a good thing because there's been no traction at all on the Giants going after Otani. Therefore, they're secretly all in on Otani and potentially a favorite if you want to talk yourself into it. I just don't think that that's the case at this point. They haven't had any significant traction towards Otani in like four weeks, not since like the first video we did talking about this, which I think was four weeks ago, where the Giants even like mentioned as a possibility on a short list. Like we named like four teams before we got to the Giants on a short list. And I don't think that's changed very much. And and look, the rest of the offseason is pretty much on pause while we wait for Otani to, to decide, especially the teams that want to spend big money this offseason. And I think the Giants probably fit in that group. But, but you're the San Francisco Giants fan. Like if they walk away from this trading a couple or three of their prospects for Juan Soto, or they end up dropping a quarter of a million dollars on, say, Blake Snell and a uh, hundred million dollar free agent infielder or something like that. Like do, do Giants fans view that as a disappointment ultimately, or are they just glad that they're doing something to improve the roster if they end up in that second tier group? Well, when I compare it to the Rangers last year, right, or the Rangers really two years ago when they went out there and signed Corey Seager and added Marcus Simeon. Again, I I tell you how I didn't really think much of the moves at the time, but I thought that obviously improved the team down the line enough so that they won a World Series literally a year later. I think that if they do sign Shohei, I would have to suspend disbelief that it's going to help them directly in the 2024 season and then hope that they can at least get some prospects to mature by that point. Because right now it just seems like their prospects haven't really matured or maybe they're just not going to turn into anything at all. 
when you talk about trading for Juan Soto, why I don't like that as much is because if I already think that our farm system is already kind of thin based off all the guys that came up to the major leagues already, then making it thinner for like one guy and even Juan Soto, he's had his ups and downs. Obviously, you can speak to more his brief tenure as a Padre. The early part of last year was looking pretty ugly up until he started to turn it around. He kind of has some Brandon Belt tendencies in the sense that he's a very streaky guy. And I, I don't know if I necessarily want the Giants to invest 10 years in him based off that and also strip their farm system down to the studs. I, I would rather sign a free agent where it's just a more clean transaction. We sign him, we get him, we don't give up anything. Maybe the guys we build around him can insulate him and turn into a good team in one to two years. I, I think that I like the free agent process a lot more than the trade process right now. So I don't think Juan Soto is really high on my priority list right now for this Giants team, unless, again, like we can really guarantee that some of these prospects are going to turn into something good for the Giants. Okay, so I'm a big Juan Soto guy, and I, I'm kind of sad that he's not going to be in San Diego anymore, although I just appreciate that he was even there at all for a year and a well, half. What like, about what about you? Because like I, I just want to say like the Padres... I've seen them thrown out there as a dark horse contender. If let's say they trade Juan Soto, get Shohei in the building, just swap out Juan Soto for Shohei in the lineup. Would that make a legitimate difference for them? Obviously they had to change that manager as well. It's not going to happen. Juju the, the Padres goal is to get payroll down to $200 million. And that's about a $75 million slash from where they were last year. It's just, it's not going to happen with Otani. 200 million is still significantly more than the Padres are used to spending, but it's way less than Peter Seidler, their, their late owner was willing to spend knowing that he was taking or knowing that someone else would take on debt after he died. So, you know, it's not going to be that for the Padres. They're not, they're not at all going after Blake Snell. They are trading Juan Soto and his $33 million. Otani's not going to be a thing for them. Um, but in the Juan Soto case, if another team is going to latch onto him, even on his down year, which most people viewed last year as a down year because they remember the 180 uh, batting average to start the season. Like he ended up making an all-star team last year. And if you, you take him from June onward, he was one of the top 20 players in war in baseball. Because the thing that he'll always be good at is drawing walks. There is nobody better in baseball at drawing walks than Juan Soto. And he plays great defense in left field, or maybe they'll move him to right field, depending on the team that he gets traded to. I wouldn't have apprehensions with trading for Juan Soto. If it's a rental deal, that's obviously, you know, to each team's own prerogative. Because yes, Soto has that's the that's the red flag too with Juan Soto, the one year deal, because he's already said, or Scott Boris, his agent, has already said. He will not sign an extension to whatever team he gets traded for. That's why the Yankees don't want to make the deal right now for Juan Soto. Yeah, and, and the Padres' price tag is incredibly high. It sounds like Toronto might be willing to match San Diego's incredibly high price tag, but it, it, it seems like there's going to be some compromise along the lines with the Soto trade. And so, like, if you're the Giants, if we bring it back to that in the Otani conversation, like, the alternatives are, like, they walk away with, like, Matt Chapman and Reese Hoskins, which is, like, better than, like, the signings they've had in the last couple off seasons, which is, like, Mitch Hanniger and Michael Conforto and, and like, secondary, like, moves that are temporary. This would be, like, a significant investment in a third baseman for the next five years. A significant investment in Reese Hoskins would be, like, locking down the first base position 
which has had some uh, revolving door tendencies for the Giants. And like, maybe that feels good. And and, and that's a good compromise for, for not getting Otani. But again, only one team's going to end up with Otani. And it looks like it's probably not going to be the Giants. So maybe the Giants start exploring that second or third tier group of free agents. I don't know if that gets them back to the playoffs, but it, it makes them better than they were last year. And I think that's something that they need because that offense was really bad the last two months of the season. And so even if they don't end up with Otani, there are still ways I feel like to spend the money that would appease the fan base and make the team a little bit better. We talked about the Blue Jays as well. The Blue Jays starting listed a lot more like Toronto sports talk to kind of like get a like read on the way that team is kind of thinking about it. Many of their fans were quick to point out in the comment section last week that their uh, president did say that there is a unicorn budget as well. So they are willing to spend the money for Shohei if he does say, hey, sign me up to play alongside Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. So they can apparently make that happen. They're not as proactive to slash payroll if they do manage to get Shohei as opposed to what we were discussing last week. Um, However, though, them signing Shohei may hurt their ability to keep guys like Guerrero and Bichette long term because they'll also have to sign those guys here in the coming years as well. And uh, those deals will definitely be very costly in their own rights. That was a really interesting report that I saw that kind of caught me off guard. And I don't know if there's been follow up on it, but Sportsnet in Canada, I believe, was the report on that one was saying that the Blue Jays would consider trading Bichette or even trading Vlad Guerrero Jr. if it meant signing Shohei Otani. And I thought that was really interesting because the purpose of signing Otani would potentially be to just guarantee yourself a spot in the random, you know, mix of postseason baseball that exists. But if they're saying there's only room for one superstar long term, I would be like one giant contract on. I mean, like, yes, George Springer is making 25 million a year and it felt like a big contract at the time when Springer signed it. But Gossman's making some serious money, too. Yeah. I mean, Gossman is getting paid, but like comparatively to what we're talking about with Otani or what a Vlad Guerrero Jr. would get in free agency, like this is slowly becoming kind of the the middle of the free agent class. Like Springer making uh, seven years, 175 million seemed like a lot at the time. And now it's like 25 million a year and it, it decreases with time. So Springer's deal isn't actually that dramatic when you think about building out a $200 million payroll. He's making about... 11% of that payroll, which isn't that dramatic. So like it would be, yeah, it would be interesting if Springer found himself in that situation, but I just, I don't know exactly how the Toronto Blue Jays proceed. If the call is we're going to spend 25% of our payroll on Otani and we're just not committing to bringing back Bichette or Guerrero Jr. Once their contracts come up, because my philosophy is always, don't you want the hometown star to be the person who sticks around the person that the fan base has gotten invested in? And like, maybe they, they look up and say, Vlad Jr. Cannot be the best player on a team that competes for a championship. Maybe that's what they look up and see, but this is the guy that they drafted. They developed, they sold the fan base on for years. And if they're going to pivot immediately to Otani, and it means that Vlad Jr. Only has like one or two years left. I'm not exactly sure. That's the best strategy. If you're going to end up winning the same number of games with Otani as compared to with Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio and that group that they have right now, because you know, Toronto's hit on some players, they've missed on some players, but it, it would be a massive pivot if they decided to go the the Shohei Otani route. I think the thing that makes more sense for them would be the, I mean, Otani makes sense for everyone, but if they're talking about payroll limitations and stuff, the thing that makes more sense for them is a one-year rental on $33 million one. So, though. No. 
Yeah, they are talking about Juan Soto, but it also does feel like, are you going to have potentially three players leaving you in the next two years if you do make that trade for Juan Soto? So it would be a true all or nothing type move if they were to go all in on Juan Soto for one year, as opposed to try and get Shohei uh, for at least obviously the next 10 years and then trying to make it work with Vlad Guerrero, Bichette and all the other guys they have in that lineup over the next two. Of course, they have the competitiveness too to deal with in the AL East because the Orioles aren't going away. The Yankees can always rebound quickly. Uh, the Red Sox, we've seen them a team that obviously has their ups and downs, certainly. And of course, the most consistent organization in baseball over the last decade, at least in the Rays. So that's why the Blue Jays have to constantly keep up in their game. And I think that they should be in the Shohei sweepstakes. They should be in the Yamamoto sweepstakes. They should be trying to get any kind of addition to this roster that they can to make themselves a true contender, not only to win a World Series, which is the obvious goal, but just to win that damn division because the AL East is just a dogfight each and every year. So they just have to do something to separate. And again, we talked about it last week. The great thing that Toronto can do that no other franchise in Major League Baseball can do is yes, Canada has a prime minister, but they could basically make Shohei King in Canada. He could be essentially their athletic king for all major sports if he signs there in Toronto. We saw, again, the Kawhi Leonard photo whenever he won that NBA championship. If he would have stayed, Kawhi would have owned Canada. If Shohei signs, he would own Canada. He would own a good share. Maybe we'd give him Montreal. Who knows? Yeah, it's it's interesting, though, because I know how popular hockey is in Canada and baseball will always be a secondary sport. They will sell the maple leaves. <laughs> they got Shohei. <laughs> they will sell I, that curse. <laughs> I don't know, man. Austin Matthews is pretty popular. But besides, besides the point, besides the point, um, I, I'm What's looking at Connor uh, McDavid, Edmonton, right? He's yeah, pretty good Connor, too, right? Yeah, he's an MVP two times, maybe three times now, actually. But he's pretty good. Austin Matthews is like their Chris Bryant of sorts, where it's like he is the 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 favorite, the fan favorite on the most beloved team. It's it's a whole thing with with Canada and their hockey and stuff. But uh, I'm looking at the odds right now, according to Bet Three Sixty Five, and like you said, we're recording this on Monday. The Blue Jays have the second best odds right now to land Shohei Otani, and I think they're in that game because they're willing to play ball money wise. And maybe this is all just driving up negotiations to end up with the Dodgers because again the favorite right now is still the Dodgers it has always been the Dodgers it will continue to be the Dodgers and the thing I said from the beginning like if they are motivated to go after Shohei Otani with no financial limitations because again the Dodgers are are bringing in that revenue from uh, that television contract that is larger than all the others and it gives them this great competitive advantage doesn't have to move yeah exactly he wouldn't have to move either like if the Dodgers are financially motivated to make this happen, there is not a team I think that can outbid them on an Otani or even if a team tries to outbid them, they can offer Otani uh, the uh, the lifestyle and the, the playing style that he prefers. Put him in a position that he's surrounded by other very, very good players on a team that has essentially won the NL West for 10 consecutive seasons. I know the Giants won in 2021, but the Dodgers beat them in the playoffs. Let's backtrack that essential. We 107 wins. Give us some respect. Yeah, but but you lost to the Dodgers in the DS. So, you know, whatever. You, You call it as you may. They've essentially won the NL West for a decade straight. Like, I still firmly believe this ends up with 
the Dodgers, as long as the Dodgers are willing to play ball financially, because if Shohei Otani ends up with another team, it's because the Dodgers weren't willing to meet the price tag that someone else is going to reach or potentially won't include certain opt-outs. Cause that's the thing that's also going to happen in this deal. There's going to be an opt-out after three years for Otani. There's going to be a team opt-out after five years. There's going to be all sorts of quirks and, and, and details in the contract that we'll learn about once it's signed. But ultimately if, if the dollar value is there and the Dodgers are willing to play ball, he's going to end up with the Dodgers. Like it will be the Dodgers not wanting to pay a premium for Otani and deciding that we would be better served investing in other places. That will be the reason why he doesn't end up on the Dodgers because the whole purpose of this for two years has been to put themselves in a position to land Shohei Otani and it still feels pretty Pretty much like the Dodgers are in the driver's seat. I know we haven't heard a ton of rumors on the Dodgers recently, but it feels like all of this is angling towards Otani becoming a Dodger. Do you think that that could work to their detriment, like them just coasting to Otani services, like not even really making on honest them? But of course, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but just assuming they're the favorites and not doing a little anything extra, kind of like a little bit 2016 Hillary, just like just coasting on I'm going to win this thing. I mean, would Otani and his representatives take a deal from, say, the Cubs? And I'm not saying the Cubs are like really in this game. I know they're they're still considered to be one of the leaders in the clubhouse from from an odds standpoint, but we haven't really heard a whole lot from the Cubs in recent days. Like, say the Cubs are offering 50 million more than what the Dodgers previous offer was. Is there a world where Otani and his reps don't go back to the Dodgers and say, here's the offer on the table, will you match it? And the Dodgers say no. Like, is there a world where they would take a sight unseen offer they can't refuse from another team? I don't know if that world exists, but I also would have thought Jacob deGrom wouldn't have signed another deal sight unseen with another team, and he did that. So I don't know what it's going to look like, but if the Dodgers are presented like, this is the dollar value, will you match it? And they say no, then that's probably the moment that the Dodgers say this is a little too rich for our blood, which I don't foresee them saying unless the dollar value gets so ridiculously. I mean, it's already ridiculously high, but unless the Dodgers look at it and say, well, we weren't willing to do this at 50 million a year, but at 60 million a year, that's that's too rich for our blood. I don't even know what the dollar value would realistically look like. Well, haven't we learned that the Dodgers are a little bit of a risk adverse franchise in a way like they don't go out there as and sign guys that have been through the ringers as far as injuries go. Right. So like Shohei coming off the injury, that might provide a variable where another team could say, we'll offer you, as you're saying, another 50 million dollars extra because the Dodgers don't want to go that because they're worried about his injury status. I don't know. I'm just, you know, spitballing potential situations because that injury, it it is a factor. It is a sacking UCL tear. If we never see Shoei the pitcher again, that affects value. Yeah, I get that. And I, I don't know if other teams would be less risk averse necessarily. Like, I don't think of the Blue Jays as a team that's like taking chances on injured players. I mean, they traded Teoscar Hernandez after like but a when you hear, injury. But when you hear a team say they have a unicorn budget, clearly they're willing to take a risk. Yeah, and they've proven it to be so because the Blue Jays went from a team that was totally out of the conversation to the second leading favorite and a team that hasn't gone away for about two and a half weeks now. So clearly they are willing to spend the money to get in this game. It's just it's a little bit surprising that the Blue Jays, the Cubs, other teams that we wouldn't have foreseen at the start of this whole experiment have now jumped up and are willing to spend that kind of money when you're right, there is not a guarantee of of health or there is not a guarantee of 
what Otani will look like post-second Tommy John, or even if he's going to be a starting pitcher long-term. He, he could move into this hybrid reliever role that we've been talking about, which is incredibly valuable for the Dodgers at, at a price tag that is five to $10 million more than per year than any other player in baseball. You're expecting a lot out of him, obviously, and that's why you're making the signing. So yeah, I, I understand why there would be apprehension because of the injury. I just... I don't, I, I don't think of the Dodgers being unique in the sense of not wanting to sign injury-prone players. It's fair. You know, you obviously, you do your due diligence as a franchise, and you chart your course out based off the information that you receive. Um, so with that said, it sounds like you're thinking Dodgers are going to make this signing happen. Since this might be the last show, hey, prediction video we get a chance to do, I'm just going to put some good energy out in the world and just say, San Francisco Giants, Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.